You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through chapter 28, verse 10. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard and soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he has said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb for fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we are thankful for your word that you have given us this account according to the scriptures that All of these things have happened in time, in space, and in history. So we pray now that this reality would now change our lives forever, even more so today. And we pray that all these things might happen for the glory of Christ and for our own good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. Uh, Like Kyle said, several of you I have never met, so I would love to meet you. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, He is risen. All right, so you guys already responded that way with Kyle. Uh, If you're new to Christianity, early Christians would say this kind of just as a greeting, like, uh, hey, what's up? Uh, So he is risen. And then others would respond, he is risen indeed. So let's do it again. He is risen. Amen. It's too bad that this greeting and response has been relegated to mostly one day per year. Uh, If you guys want to just keep that up throughout the rest of the year, I'm game for it. Let's do it. Uh, But he is risen. 
Uh, And maybe the rising of Jesus on this Easter Sunday is perhaps even more meaningful than ever. After, if you were with us on Good Friday, if you were with us, we considered Jesus's descent to the dead. In the Apostles' Creed that we just recited together, we say, and he descended to the dead. For a lot of us, that phrase seems weird, especially if you come from a tradition in which perhaps the translation was, and he descended into hell. Uh, So what in the world? And actually, what happened between Jesus's death on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday? On Friday, we considered Friday to be a day of suffering and then Saturday to be a day of descent. Well, today, let's pick it right back up and consider here on Saturday, a day of descent for just a couple of moments together, and then consider Sunday a day of ascent. So, First of all, in thinking about what happened yesterday, Holy Saturday or Silent Saturday, we consider the broad teaching of the Bible that before the coming of Christ, all who died went to what the Hebrew authors called the place of Sheol, place of death, the place of the dead, or its Greek name, Hades. And that within the place of the dead, there is a a compartment, a, a place in that place of the dead for all the souls of the righteous who lived in covenant friendship with God who belongs to Abraham, a place, who Jesus, a place where Jesus would later call this Abraham's bosom, the right-hand place of Abraham, of belonging to him, a place of comfort. And in this place, the souls of the spiritually righteous, those who belonged in covenant to God, uh, awaited their resurrection. It was a place of waiting, of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, There's another place in this place of the dead, another compartment for the unrighteous, those who were estranged or alienated from God in their life, separated from him by their sin, their false worship, their hatred, their hostility against God in their heart and in their actions. There in the place of the dead, they too wait, and they waited for judgment. And so when we say, as the original Latin of the Apostles' Creed made clear, that Jesus went to the place of the dead, we do not mean that he went to hell, a place of eternal conscious torment. Instead, he went to a place identifying with all of humanity to a place of the dead to there proclaim his victory over death. To proclaim over the spirits who were imprisoned by death, he was preaching of his work of substitution, of sacrifice, that all that they had once known, all that they had once experienced, had now been fulfilled in his life and death. And so as we'll consider again in two weeks, if you're new joining us here or visiting, we've been walking through the book of Leviticus. And so in two weeks, uh, we will consider the Day of Atonement of Leviticus 16, that Jesus, when he descends to the dead, he is preaching his substitution for all those who have waited for him, just as they might have expected throughout the entire story of the Bible. The entire story of the Bible is that of substitution. In Genesis 22, we see God provide a lamb for one man, Abraham, instead of his son Isaac. In Exodus 12, we see God provide a lamb for one family, where each family in Egypt is provided a lamb for Passover. Leviticus 16, God provides a land now, not just for one man, not just for one family, but now for an entire nation in the Day of Atonement. Well, in John 1, John makes it very clear that God provided a lamb now for the whole world. God the Son offering himself. And so here comes Jesus in his descent to proclaim to the captives of death that he has come for them, 
Just as David once wrote and looked forward to an expectation, a thousand years prior, David wrote in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. He will come. God will come to rescue David. And here is the fulfillment of David's faith. The rescuer. But the rescue will not begin. The prison doors from Sheol or Hades will not get thrown wide until Sunday morning. Until resurrection day. Until Easter. And so now let's consider if that's what he has proclaimed to the dead in his descent on Saturday, now let's consider Sunday to be a day of ascent. Let's get back to Matthew 27 and 28 that you heard Kimber read that Pilate and the Pharisees are just super nervous about Jesus' followers who might be up to some monkey business with the body of Jesus. The Pharisees tell Pilate that Jesus once told or once said that after three days he would arise from the dead. Pilate says in chapter 27, verse 65, to go to the tomb to make it, quote, to make it as secure as you can. Well, bless his heart. That's just one of the most hilarious verses in the entire Bible. Go make it as secure as you can, as if. Pilate still has no idea what he has gotten himself into. The cosmic stage in which he is just a bit actor. Jesus' followers, though, they are actually up to no monkey business. They have no plans of their own. They actually have given up hope. There is no hope of the resurrection. They have seemingly forgotten all that Jesus had said would happen. Jesus is actually and really dead. His heart has stopped. There is no brain activity, no oxygen, no electricity, nothing. His body is beginning to decompose. Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are here to contribute to the hastily performed burial of Nicodemus and Joseph. Those men had done it really quickly. They had gotten the body of Jesus down very quickly before the sunset on Friday, which would have begun the Sabbath. Now, trying to be there and ready at dawn, the first time that they would have been legally allowed to come and work with the body and the tomb after the Sabbath, now these women are here. And what do they find? The stone has been rolled away. Go and make it as secure as you can. Very similar to how Matthew told us in chapter 27 that the curtain inside the temple had been torn, separating the the curtain that had been once separating the people from approaching God in the Holy of Holies had been torn from top to bottom, now opening full and free access to God. Here in chapter 28, the stone, the veil between death and life has been opened, is removed, the gates from death and life have been opened. The light of life comes pouring out of a hole in the ground. In his descent, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that Jesus had descended into the lower regions of the earth. Paul clearly not meaning that he had just been buried into a hole in the ground. But what happened then after his descent into the lower regions of the earth? Paul tells us that when he ascended again, Jesus led out a whole host of captives. We considered on Friday that if you've read or seen the movie The Return of the King, when King Aragorn calls or summons or frees the souls of the captives who have waited, who owe him their loyalty and belonging, this is exactly what's happening. A whole host of captives are following Jesus out of his grave. Guys, this is not bunnies and peeps and seersucker suits. All that's great and fun. This is really crazy cosmic 
things going on. This is the most important monumental moment in all of human history, right here, pouring out of a hole in the ground. Light, life, now for all who would be identified with him. That just as the first Adam inhaled the breath of God, but then quickly, very quickly, passed on sin and death to all who would come after him now, the second Adam inhales the breath of God, but then immediately passes on his life and his righteousness to all who would come after him, both to the living and the dead. Many years later, the Apostle John would once again see the Lord Jesus, and he would write of his experience with the risen Lord in Revelation 1, and John wrote this. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. I died, Jesus said, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I now have the keys over death and Hades forever. The keys over death and the place of death forever. Jesus now is king over it all. He holds the keys of death and Hades. No longer will the church that Jesus builds, the people of his body who now belong to him and are now in the dwelling place of God, no longer will the gates of Hades or Sheol or death prevail against them, will keep them separated from the love of God. Nothing in life or death or height nor depth will separate God's people from his love because of Jesus's death and resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Or as one of those old Easter songs proclaimed, death could not hold its prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose the victor of the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. That song is obviously about the resurrection of Jesus, but it is about the resurrection of Jesus which follows the descent of Jesus, the descent to the dead over which now he holds the keys and he transforms the place of the dead, now leading out captives of death to live with him, to live with God. Death in vain forbids him rise. Alleluia. Christ has opened paradise. Alleluia. And so the resurrection of Jesus undoubtedly means that his work of redemption is finished. His work of bearing the weight of your sin was finished on the cross, but if Jesus stayed dead, then we stay dead. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. If he does not have the power over death, then no one does, and we are without hope. But if he is alive and we belong to him, if we are united to him, then we are alive as well both now spiritually, as we have said many times of the angel's question to Mary in Luke's gospel, the same can be asked of us, why do you now look for the living amongst the dead? Sin and temptation and the evil one, why do you now look for the living amongst the dead? These people who have been united to Christ in his resurrection are alive in him. They're no longer dead. You have no reign over him, over her. He's alive, she's alive. Crushing sadness, depression without hope. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? She's alive. He is alive. 
O sin, where is your victory? O cancer, where is your sting? O anxiety, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Gone forever because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or as Paul says in Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. Tears to gladness, death to life. But not just in a spiritual sense, not just in a vaguely emotional sense, but in a very real and physical sense as well. In John 5, Jesus says that all humans will once will one day be raised to new life in a literal resurrection. Like, you think what Christians think about money or sexuality or something is weird? Get a load of this. Jesus says that all dead people who have ever lived will once again rise, literally. And he will once again come in the skies, in the clouds, with a trumpet blast. Crazy stuff. Amazing stuff. Is a story that we all long for and hope for. We see Jesus being raised from the dead as the first fruits of this very literal bodily resurrection in the raising of some of the recently dead in Jerusalem in Matthew 27. We consider this not just as like a zombie apocalypse in Matthew 27, but just the first fruits. Some people have been raised with him. But it's in that sense that cemeteries where Christians have been buried are not tombs, but they are, as we sang earlier, they are just but gardens a holding ground for new life where when the Lord Jesus will one day speak the word where we will finally, forever, and fully be transformed into his likeness. Cemeteries where lots and lots of Christians are buried is one day going to be, this place is going to be a really, really busy, busy place. Lots of commotion, lots of action. And I can't wait. Just as Ezekiel looked forward to as Kyle read in our call to worship or as we sang earlier, You turn graves into gardens. That's not just some vaguely emotional thing. Really, actually, physically. This is our hope. So here's a question for us then. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, and if I am a Christian, and I have been raised from the dead with him, then why do I still struggle so much with the sin that I struggle with? That I am supposedly dead too. If I'm a Christian following the risen Christ, then why am I so often, perhaps like the women or the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, so full of fear, so full of despair or sadness? Well, first, an answer could just be a blunt one. Perhaps you are or have been looking for the wrong kind of Messiah altogether. You thought believing in him would quickly remove all your problems. You thought... Life in his kingdom would be an immediate, physical one. Perhaps not unlike some of Jesus' early Jewish followers who wanted a renewed kingdom over Rome. You thought perhaps that the king would give you better social standing. Identifying or coming to him would give you an easier life. A perfect spouse. A growing family. Or merely just freedom from this problem or that addiction. But here's the thing. Jesus did not come to give you stuff or fix your problems. Certainly not more money or nicer cars or even an easier life. Following Jesus means carrying your cross, like his to your death, the death of yourself. Instead, Jesus 
came not to fix all of your problems, but to give you himself. The best gift that he could possibly give. To, as your king, as the object and the fulfillment of your greatest and highest worship and affection, not the third, not the fourth, or the tenth, or the hundredth priority in your life that requires 2% of your attention, but as the object of your greatest affection, your highest worship, then he gives you his life, he gives you his peace, he gives you himself. Not looking for joy, not looking for peace first, and then perhaps sprinkling a little Jesus on top, but to be daily your ongoing and highest treasure. The who and the what that you long for during day and night, during life and death. And in knowing Jesus, in having him, in walking with him, then our struggle with sin gets easier. Then our despair, our doubt, our anxiety gets less and less because he is with us, because we know him and never the other way around. He gives you himself, that our problems might ease because we know that he is with us, but he does not come to fix our problems, and then we get a little bit of Jesus. And yet another reason why we still might experience so much pain, so much sadness, so much sin and struggle, is that he just has not taken those things away yet. It appears that efficiency is not one of Jesus' highest priorities but that the shaping and the character of his people, that is a great priority of his. Of his people who in their deaths to self go down into the water, descending with Jesus to the place of the dead that he might bring them up in ascension, in resurrection. Up from the grave he arose. In resurrection, a resurrected new life still plagued with the lingering effects of sin, but now with the immunization of his resurrection life now coursing through our veins. The life of Jesus himself, as we abide in him and he abides in us, now the resurrection changes everything. Everybody, he is risen. In one of my favorite movies, Apollo 13, uh, Tom Hanks, you like that transition? In Apollo 13, Tom Hanks' character, Jim Lovell, he's in his backyard with his wife the night that Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. And he says to his wife, he says, from now on, we live in a world where man has walked on the moon. Well, like Jim Lovell in his backyard, and now for Mary, for Peter, for John, for Thomas, for Paul, for you, for me, we now live in a world where a man has been raised from the dead. And that changes everything. It proves that God is real. It proves that he is God because it validates everything that Jesus said about himself. It means that our life is not our end. It means that our death is not our end. It means that we will experience resurrection life as he does and that this life is not all that we hope in. Even in death, Jesus now holds the victory. He holds the keys that keep us in the prison of death. In death, we can now be with Jesus, just as he tells the thief on the cross that he will be with him in paradise. Like those Old Testament saints who have been liberated, now waiting our final and full resurrection, where we will finally not only be freed from the penalty and the power of sin, but its presence altogether where death is swallowed up forever 
and tears are dried eternally. This is our hope. It's been said that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then nothing else matters. But if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then nothing else matters. Ultimately, his life is now our life. He is risen. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to celebrate and affirm the resurrection life that the Lord Jesus has brought to four of our brothers and sisters from the watery grave to the breath of life, from death to life, from dark to light. And then we Christians are going to come to this table together, taking the bread and the cup, reflecting on his death, that he actually descended to the dead, but then also remembering his life for us. And on the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is what we remember weekly and we proclaim weekly to each other, to our own hearts and souls, and to the world around us. And then we're going to finish this service by celebrating and reflecting on the reality of his resurrection for us singing this song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. He holds the keys over your death and the place of your death that he might usher you into the presence of God. And life is worth the living just because he lives. So Christian, celebrate, worship, praise, but also this can be a day to mourn, to cry, to grieve, to struggle, because our sin, even death around us, has not been taken away on this Easter Sunday. But we know that the risen Christ sees you, knows you by name, cares for you, and has given you his life. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's thank him that he is alive and well today. Lord Jesus, the grave could not hold you. The place of the dead could not hold you. You are the conquering one who, have, who has broken through the gates of death, that you have led out a host of captives. You have brought them in your wake, and you have brought us to life as well. Lord, we pray that your resurrection might become more and more evident in our life. As we are united to you in your death, that we might be united to you in your resurrection as well. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, Spirit, we pray that you would apply this work of redemption even more fully and finally in our hearts and our souls and our strengths and our strength and our mind. Help us to know you, we pray, because we have you forevermore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.